Hello and welcome back. My name is Katie Shepard and this is the AHA Homeschool Podcast. In the last episode, I talked to you um, about where we are, our path sort of that we followed to sort of settle into a routine we use for studying the Bible, studying scripture every day as a family. Um, and so today I kind of want to um, talk a little bit about our morning basket what it is, how we use it, um, and some tips and tricks and ideas for you maybe if you have littles and you need to figure out how to incorporate them into this time. If you have littles and olders and you're trying to read, you know, maybe some chapter books and, um, you know, just how to sort of find a way for that to work for your family. So our morning basket time is the first thing we do every day together. And it starts with our Bible time, which I spent a whole episode on, um, and how we structure that and what that looks like for our family. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that first. Um, But what we do is when we're ready to start school in the morning, we come together as a family and we do our Bible time and we pray together. I did not initially start homeschooling this way. And I just can't believe I ever didn't do it this way. Like, I can't believe I ever did it a different way. Um, I love and treasure this time together as a family, this time to connect together, to start in scripture, to pray together, and, and to read some books together. And it's been such a blessing. I cannot encourage you enough to incorporate some sort of morning basket into your homeschool routine and for it to be the very first thing you do every day. You know, I think I think education in general, as I've said before, is too much about checklists and, and doing things like, okay, well, we have this much time and then we have this much time and then we have this much time. We have to, we have to finish math by this time and then it's lunch and Everything is just very scheduled and children don't learn on a schedule. And if we're honest, we don't either. Um, We all learn at different rates. And the thing that's special about a morning basket is it starts our day in the living room, on the couch, under blankets. Sometimes we're on the front porch when it's amazing outside in the spring and the fall. And it's just this, it's this peaceful time. We're not starting the day with a rush or a schedule or a, okay, get this done. It's, it's something completely different. And it has been such a blessing for our family. Okay. So like I said, the first thing we always do is Bible and prayer. And then from there, um, our morning basket is all reading. We are typically reading two to three other books at a time together. Bible typically is anywhere from five to 10 minutes. Like I said, sometimes my kids dig in and like we have this like really long Bible discussion this morning, even though it's summer, we're still doing our Bible and our morning basket time. This morning we had a great discussion um, about Matthew 7 and it was awesome. They just they just kept going, so I didn't stop them. So sometimes the Bible time is longer. Today it was like 15 minutes, and, and then sometimes it's 
you know, two because nobody has any thoughts or maybe everybody's a little bit extra tired. So we spend you know, anywhere from five to 10 minutes on our Bible, give or take. Um, then we have three other books we read, usually a chapter-ish from each book. Some books are really well put together for read aloud time in that the chapters aren't excessively long. Other books can be very long, like the chapters themselves can be very long. And those books I typically break up and I'll read them for about 10-ish minutes until I get to like a good stopping point. Gauge your kids and do what is best for them. I have a friend who during their morning basket time, they only read one book at a time because that, that's what works best for their family. Um, so it really, this is just about like gauging your children and uh, finding a good, a good structure that fits your family. And then also, as always with homeschooling, even if you have a good structure, there is it's, you know, maybe 50% structure and 50% flexibility. Um, so after we read our Bible and we pray that um, we have three other sort of categories of books we are almost always reading from. The first category we are always reading from, this is like a hands down, this always happens in our house, is we are always reading historical fiction. This has been just such a, an amazing way to grow together as a family, to teach the kids about history, and, and in a lot of cases for me to learn history. Um, some of our, our favorite historical fictions that we've read this year, historical fiction books that we've read this year, um, was Will at the Battle of Gettysburg. And we read a book called Bull Run. It was historical fiction, but it was about the Battle of Bull Run. Those two we read during our Civil War unit that we were we were doing together as a family. We just did this whole unit on the Civil War. It was fantastic. And what I did is since we were studying that during our, our history time, we incorporated books from our history um, or, or around the same topic, rather, incorporated books on that same historical fiction topic, and we put those into the morning basket. So we were getting it kind of in two ways, if that makes sense. Another really great historical fiction we read this year around Thanksgiving was Sign of the Beaver. And we watched the movie afterwards, which was fantastic because the movie really isn't as good as the book. And my kids were able to vocalize that so quickly. And, and compare it. And that was really great. We really liked Sighting of the Beaver and we had a lot of really great discussions about that. And then the the fourth one in, in possibly my most favorite book the kids and I have ever read together. It's called A Place to Hang the Moon. It is, we listen to it on audio because sometimes an audiobook is good for moms too, right? It gives us a little bit of space to also just listen um, also great audiobooks. This would be a great way to incorporate books, chapter books into your morning basket time when you have littles. Like if you have littles that need you to be like on the floor with them and doing like, you know, puzzles or something like quiet with their hands, you know, with you, audiobooks would be a great way, a great way to do morning basket time, still have a book that is being read aloud 
It's not your voice. It's someone else's voice, but that's fine. Still being read aloud to your older children, but it's allowing you to still sort of have that space and that time together while giving your your littlest one um, what they need as well to get through the time together. So we listened to A Place to Hang the Moon on audio. And I have to tell you, if you have any capacity at all to listen to this book on audio, it is just it's phenomenal. The woman who reads it, and I forget her name, of course, at this very moment, but the woman who reads it, reads it with a, a British accent and she uses um, British dialect when she's reading it. And it was it was like a cultural experience to read this book. And it was it was also um it was about these children during World War II that are e- evacuated out of the city of London so they can live in like a safer place, you know, before they when they were anticipating um London getting bombing, you know, before it was bombed and um it's their experience of of these children moving sort of to the countryside and and being sort of like refugees or evacuees and it's i mean it was over and we were all all four of us were like oh but what happens next and so you know that's a good book right you know when even you or your children get to the end of the book and you you miss those characters ah oh, it's just so good um So historical fiction is, I think, one of the best ways we can teach our children anything. Um, When we read Will at the Battle of Gettysburg, you know, we weren't reading a textbook about Gettysburg, right? We weren't learning like, this happened on this day, and then these troops moved closer on this day, and then these troops. It wasn't that at all. There were no dates. There were no facts. There were no figures. There was no memorization. Yet my kids, I think, understand Gettysburg more than I ever did when I was in school by leaps and bounds. So you're reading this book, and you're now a 12-year-old, and you're living in Gettysburg, and it's leading up to the battle and your brother has is gone away and he's at war and your father is um your father isn't home at the moment and you know these you see these soldiers like camping just outside of town and you know they're moving closer and and you walk this experience with this this 12 year old boy will and and through this experience he grows up, he kind of grows into a man through this experience and some of the things he has to deal with. Um, you learn about his compassion. You learn about Gettysburg, but you didn't just read a page from a textbook. You felt it. You saw it through his eyes. You experienced it. You lived it with this character. And I, I just can't imagine a better way to teach our children history. I just nothing could be could help our kids connect with history more than giving them a character that they know and they felt and my i can guarantee you my children are going to remember that forever they connected with will and we had lots of really great discussions about what that would have been like living in that time and and things that will experienced and what he was feeling and 
just there, there isn't a better way to teach, um, to teach history than to give your kids the experience of like walking history and getting to know these characters on a personal level. Um, in many cases, as I mentioned before, the historical fiction usually matches the history that we are studying, but not always. Um, when we read Sign of the Beaver, we were not studying that time in history. When we read A Place to Hang the Moon, we were not, or when we listened to A Place to Hang the Moon, we were not, we have not yet studied where we're too in depth. So that's not a rule, but it is a great way to expand whatever it is you're doing in history with your family. Um, the second, or I guess this would be the third category. So we have Bible and then we have historical fiction. And then third category, I call it the fun category. I really shouldn't. I should come up with a better name because my kids actually, I think, like historical fiction more than everything else we read. <laughs> um, maybe that's what they consider fun. I just call it the fun category because it's usually something um, a little bit more like written more recently. Usually for our kids, we're reading some sort of fantasy. It's usually has you know, a series, we, we tend to like going through series of books together. And these also just lend for really, really great discussions. I am super careful with the books that I pick and making sure that I am doing my diligence in looking up the series and getting recommendations from people that I trust and making sure that we're going to stick within our family values. Um, some of our favorite read aloud series that we've we've gone through over time. Um, the Green Ember series, which we listened to on audio. Three of us loved it. I have one child that didn't love it. Interestingly enough, that child is the child that loves animals and love creatures. So I thought for sure he would be the one that like loved it. And for some reason, he just didn't attach to the characters as much. We have read through parts of the Narnia series, but not all. Um, we have read our favorite, I would say we have two favorite series that we've read. The first one is the Wing Feather Saga. If you've not read these books with your children, you right now you need to go buy book one and read the Wing Feather Saga. It's so good. I would say probably for ages like third grade and up to to really feel the full experience if you have youngers and olders go ahead and read it now and then just read it again later when you're when your youngers get a little bit older fantastic series and then the um the other series that i th i would say is probably like in line for our favorite has been the vanderbeekers the first book is the vanderbeekers of 141st street we read that this past year around christmas time because it kind of had a christmasy theme and my kids were just begging for the next book. And we just we just fly through these books. We love them. I love them. The characters are all very lovable and very connectable. So those just, if you're looking for some suggestions of, of books or series to kind of just read, um, those are some of our favorites that we have read over the past couple of years. And then the last category of books that is usually in our morning basket <clears throat> is it's like apologetics slash Christian missionary ish. It's very faith oriented. You know, 
the world is going to challenge our children in their faith and their biblical beliefs. I could actually, I think, make a case to you that the that the world's whole mission is to place doubt in our hearts, in our heads, and in our children's hearts and heads. And um, I want my children to be able to speak biblical truths. And I don't want doubt placed in their hearts in those moments. So like, you know, when a friend comes to them and says, well, well, the biblical flood couldn't have been true because of X, Y, Z. I don't want that moment to be a moment that places doubt in my children's heart. Or, you know, if another child comes up to them and says like, well, dinosaurs couldn't have fit on the ark or the whole Bible can't really be true. You know, those things, if, if our kids don't know how to answer those questions, they do play seeds of doubt, no matter how strong anyone's faith is. If you don't know the answers to those questions, you come away from those conversations with people and you're kind of like, mm, I don't know, like how, how did dinosaurs fit on the ark? Or um, is, is the whole Bible true? And if, you're, if you don't know what you believe and if your kids don't know what they believe, then that doubt is placed. And over time, it grows into something where maybe our kids don't believe anymore because the world's whole mission is to place doubt in their hearts and in their heads and turn them away from Jesus and the hope that Jesus offers. And so when we read apologetics with our kids, when we read about Christian missionaries, we are giving our kids tools to talk into their friends or maybe their family members or just the world in general. When the world challenges them, we are giving them tools to say, well, no, here, here's exactly how they think dinosaurs fit on the ark. Or um, here's exactly why I believe the whole Bible is true. Or here is like, let me give you some evidence for Noah's flood. Did, did you know about any of this evidence? And when our kids can do that, we do two very, very, very important things. A, it protects their heart. It protects their faith. It protects their head, right? When our children can speak into that, they are completely protected from that doubt ever creeping in. And the second thing we do is we give our children the power and the opportunity and the ability to speak the gospel to their friends and to their family and to the people in the world who are trying to, to place doubt in their hearts. Our kids not only are protecting themselves, but they'll now they have become a vehicle through which the gospel can be shared. And that is just such a powerful tool we can give our children. And it all comes down to reading apologetics with your children and reading with them about Christian missionaries. There is this amazing series um, about Christian heroes. They're so good. My children love them. They devour these books. We we read some aloud together as a family and the rest they read on their own. And they've learned so much. 
about these missionaries and about what it looks like to to live for the Lord and in different ways that the Lord has worked through people's lives. Um, I'm currently reading one on C.S. Lewis. It's fantastic. I had no idea some of the things that happened in his life. And it really does help you build a stronger foundation in, in your own faith and also your children. You know, when I can't, I can't stress this enough. When the Lord was knocking on the door to my heart, the doubt that the world placed in my head kept me from leaning into Jesus sooner. And I don't want doubt from the enemy to trip my kids up. And it tripped, you guys, it tripped me up. It slowed down my, my walk, my leaning into Jesus, because then I, I would start to lean in and then there was doubt. And then I would start to lean in and then there was doubt. And I know, I know, now know that on this end of it, you know, that that was a hundred percent, that was the enemy trying to keep me from leaning into Jesus because the last thing he wants is, is me to, to follow Jesus and for my heart to be committed. And, um, I just, I, I, I walked that myself. I walked the world placing that doubt on me from many different people and from many different angles. And if I had had the tools of apologetics taught to me when I was younger, I think my heart would have been a little bit safer in that process. And, you know, when they're, when their friends ask them questions, their friends probably aren't necessarily trying to place doubt. I think a lot of times those questions, um, you know, like, well, the, the whole Bible can't be true. I think a lot of the times those people ask those questions, they're coming from a, a place of curiosity because um, 100% of us, 100% of us are wired for the Lord and his kingdom. God created every single one of us and we are all created in his image and we are all wired for for kingdom living and i think a lot of times when those when those questions of doubt come they're not coming with an intentional trying to place doubt i think a lot of times they're coming from curiosity but what they end up doing in our own hearts in many cases is placing the doubt and you know whether people know it or not they too are wired for his kingdom and his love and his goodness and they have questions and maybe they don't understand why they have the questions or maybe they don't understand the answers quite yet but when we teach our kids apologetics a you're teaching it to them and b you're reinforcing it for yourself and then also a you're protecting their heart and b you're giving them um a skill, you're giving them an opportunity in which they can share the gospel with those people who have the curiosity and want to know more. So that is basically how we structure our morning basket. Like I said, we do the Bible and then we do historical fiction and a quote fun book. And then we um, have some sort of faith building book we're reading. Um, if you're looking for books on apologetics, I highly recommend um, Masterbooks, Answers in Genesis. They're more or less the same organization. Um, we have a book called One Race, One Blood. 
that we've, we're reading through. We have answers for kids, which is really good. Talks about a lot of those questions that people have about dinosaurs and the ark and the flood and all those kinds of things. Um, if you have kids that are a little bit younger, Louis Giglio, and really even my kids still love it. It's just very short. Louis Giglio wrote um, a devotional called Indescribable, and it kind of is a devotional meets science, and it, it explains science from a biblical perspective because that's what science is, right? Um, science is the study of understanding or the need to understand how God created the world. That's what, that's what science is and how God created animals and how he created everything to work. And um, so I highly recommend like master books and answers in Genesis really like those, the Christian heroes series. It's called Christian heroes then and now you can find them on Amazon. Those are fantastic about missionaries. So those are some of our favorites in that category. And then if you have littles, so I'm talking, if you have, kindergarten, maybe even first grade, depending on your children and their disposition, you know, maybe like second grade, first grade, kindergarten, preschool, and younger. Obviously this time, like my kids and I sit down in the family room for about 45 minutes. Obviously that's going to be more difficult the younger your children are. And so maybe this is a space in which you only read one book, you do Bible, and then you only read one book at a time. Or maybe you do Bible and you only read one book together as a family. And then um, later in the afternoon, maybe when your youngest ones are napping, then you pull out a couple more from the morning basket and you sit and read together again then. So you, this is about you working within the limits your family has and finding a way to make this fit. Some ideas for littles, you know, as your littles get a little bit older as they get to kindergarten, first and second grade, you do want to try to encourage them to stay in the room the whole time, even if they're not, you know, intently listening. You do want to try to encourage them to stay in the room. So I would encourage you to maybe put together bins with manipulatives or sensory bins or puzzles or a Lego bin. Obviously, this is like no directions with the Legos, you know, that you don't want them reading directions. You want them just like um, using it as a manipulative and just kind of like creatively building whatever. Um, you obviously want this to be a quiet activity so they're not making noise and distracting from the reading for the other children. Coloring is another great activity you can do during that time or, you know, like kinetic sand or something like that. Those are all really great things you can give your littles to do to keep their hands busy. So they, they just stay in the room. You just want them to, as they get older, to just slowly stay in the room with you. And it, it might not be every day. They're going to grow into that. And then hopefully, eventually, they're snuggling up on the couch with the rest of the family and really just digging into the books that you have chosen to read to your kids. Um, like I mentioned earlier, another great idea for this time is to do an audiobook. So maybe you read one book because maybe your little is good enough. You know, I don't, good enough isn't the right word. Maybe your little has the attention span enough to listen to one book. And maybe you're super intentional about the book you picked during that time. So it draws them in and draws their attention. And then the next book you do as a family is an audiobook. So then you could be on the floor um, playing with manipulatives with your little while you also listen and modeling that sort of behavior that this is a time we we sit still and we play 
quietly with our hands while we listen to an audiobook. And believe me, I get it. I have twin boys. When they were two, life was chaos. I'm not sure they would have tried to sit still for this, but also I never tried. So we would just encourage you to try. And even if you start with just one day a week, they're in the room, you know, <laughs> playing with manipulatives. And then, then maybe six months later, they're like one and a half to two days a week, they're in the room. It's going to, that's how it's going to go, especially with youngers um, until they get, you know, second, third grade, um, until they get a little bit older, they're not going to sit there for the whole time and listen. And that's okay because in that moment, you're trying to serve your older children and your younger children at the same time. And obviously, if you only have younger children, at this point, you're reading picture books. You're not reading big, long chapter books that, you know, read for their attention span. And picture books are fantastic option. Picture books sometimes have, many times, have higher quality of language and syntax and sentences than, than early readers do, almost all the time they do. So those are all still very, very good for them. So if your children are in a place where their attention span is picture books, go with it. That's what they need then. And you could still even do those three categories, but do shorter picture books that take less time. So this is how we structure our morning basket. Everyone does not need to structure their morning basket this way. Like I've said many times, this is about you finding a fit for your family. But I wanted to give you, like everything else, just a launching point, just some ideas, just some things that have worked for us, for you to have a place to start and then tweak for your family as your children grow, as they grow in attention span and, and all of those things that come with teaching your family. Thank you for joining us today and listening to this episode, and I can't wait to talk to you next time. Bye-bye.